This is KFCF 88.1 FM in Fresno, your listener-sponsored station for the Central Valley. It's time now for Science, a Candle in the Dark. Hello, listeners. We interrupt this pledge drive to bring you Science, a Candle in the Dark. This is a monthly conversation about the wonder of science and how it illuminates our lives in this incredible universe. I'm your host, Dr. Madhusudan Katti from the Biology Department at Fresno State. And since today's episode is uh, shorter due to the pledge drive, let's get right into it. During last week's Republican presidential primary debate, medical science made a rare appearance in the nation's, nation's political media discourse when Jake Tapper raised the question about appropriate schedules for childhood vaccinations. This was triggered by candidate Donald Trump's reassertion of a now uh, long discredited link between autism and vaccines. The two actual medical doctors on the panel, Ben Carson and Rand Paul, wisely dismissed any suggestion of a link between vaccines and autism. But Trump went on to claim that we are actually facing an epidemic of autism in this country. What do we make of such claims? Is there any semblance of truth to this? At the next CAFE Scientific meeting on October 5th, we'll get some updates from the autism spectrum from my friend and our guest here today, Dr. Amanda Mortimer. Dr. Mortimer, you may remember from last month, she was our guest as well. Uh, she has a dual PhD in psychology and neuroscience from Indiana University. And her work is at the interface between neuroscience and clinical psychology. She's also a licensed clinical psychologist. And she's now an associate professor of psychology at Fresno State and she's going to bring us some updates from the autism spectrum. Welcome, Dr. Mortimer. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. I think you're the, you're the first guest to come back, so... I feel very honored. <laughs> Especially. Uh, so, uh, let's get straight into it. What, what is autism, and what is the autism spectrum? So, the idea behind the autism spectrum is that many folks with disorders that end up being summarized with the diagnosis of autism look very, very different in how they present. So when you see somebody, a lot of times, I don't know, a good example perhaps might be the flu. And I'm sure now you'll have flu experts calling in and telling you, oh, no, they could be very different. But that whole like yeah. sneezy, nose running, mm -hmm. gosh, I'm miserable, I'm running a terrible fever. It's, it's all pretty much you look at somebody and you're like, yeah, that could be the flu. Whereas when people have the disorder that we refer to as autism spectrum disorder, the way they can seem is just highly variable. And this has caused a huge amount of trouble with diagnosis because for the longest time, people with what we refer to as autism have also very frequently had co-occurring intellectual disability. Hmm. So bringing it down to autism itself, it's a specific lack of capacity in interaction um, social communication and social interaction across multiple contexts in human beings. So you would, that would be sort of a definition? Yeah, that's the definition of kind okay. of what are we looking for when we look for autism spectrum disorder. Okay. And what's really important about that is lack of ability in social communication is not something that necessarily means that someone is not smart. It just really doesn't require that you're you have trouble learning in other contexts. It just means that you aren't born with a built-in capacity for understanding social cues, mm -hmm. which the vast majority of human beings are born with it built, being built in. One way, all social primates. So. Absolutely, and one way I'll almost summarize this sometimes for people who seem like they're not quite getting it as I'm trying to explain it is to say this is the goose who doesn't know which way's north and which way's south. 
Hmm. It's just built in. It's just supposed to be there. And one way to think about this is if you think about having a little tiny baby, and even if you really dislike little tiny babies, you just can't <laughs> yeah. help smiling at it. I know yeah. if it screams all night, you stop smiling at it. Yeah. But you smile at it to begin with, and babies smile back. And if you think about it, you know, this great mm-hmm. big huge semi-unknown person is getting up in your space and smiling at you. You wouldn't think that that would be happy making. Yeah. But yet mm-hmm. we're built. When you get up in somebody's face and smile at them, even if you don't want to, you feel like you need to smile back. It's called social reciprocity. Mm-hmm. And so people who are not on this spectrum feel that need. When people smile at them, they think they need to smile back. Um, they mm. feel the need to meet social cueing expectations. And that's what makes someone on the spectrum very different, is they don't have a biological need to smile back. They don't have a biological, here's what I do in this particular situation response. Mm. And this is very complex because it's biology intertwined with social acceptability. So if you've ever spent time hanging out with folks from Europe, you might realize that their idea of how close you should stand in a line is rather different than Americans' idea. I grew up in India, so I know (laughs) (laughs) this whole concept of personal space was a new one to me when I came to this country. But but see, the thing is, even in India, though, there are specific rules about how you do it. Uh And so you might stand really close. I'm I'm willing to put my potential ignorance out there. I don't think you touch people. Depends on whether you're on the, on the commuting on the morning trains in Bombay, <laughs> but, but yes. But, but if you yeah. do touch someone, mm-hmm. that would be really weird if it's uh-huh. not in the yeah. right circumstance. Yes. So, yes. you know, my interest in going to a Giants game here, I think I'm about to experience that in San Francisco mm-hmm. with more touching than is preferred. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's socially okay within that context. In a way, it's absolutely not if you're standing in line at the bank. And so those rules, while obviously one is not born with official rules about how close you stand to people at the bank, one is born with the ability to tell that other people are getting shifty and weird and are really uncomfortable with what you're doing and a feeling that you are uncomfortable if you don't modify your behavior to fix their discomfort. Mm. So that kind of base level of reading people's emotions and then responding socially appropriately to those emotions. So that is what we're really looking at with people with the autism spectrum disorder is that they aren't born with that innate capacity to read emotional comfort and discomfort in other people. And Mm. when they do that, they absolutely can learn to do it. But when they do it, it's effortful. It's something they have to learn. Mm. They have to be told the details and then they have to work hard to remember those details and apply those rules. So you or I, given that we are not on the spectrum, if we were standing too close to somebody at the bank and they started kind of like shifting back and forth and rolling their eyes a little, then we'd feel like we really needed to move yeah. away from them. Yeah. Somebody on the spectrum would kind of wonder why the person was shifting their eyes around maybe, but they just really wouldn't get a innate, oh, okay. here's what I do to fix that problem. Or hmm. they wouldn't even get that there really is a problem that's linked hmm. to them. Okay. That's interesting. So uh, how did this uh, notion of autism being a spectrum come about? I think that that really... Or was it right from the beginning? This is kind of my own personal interpretation of that. 
but I think that it really happens because autism does co-occur with intellectual disability and which um, for Mm. people who aren't following changes in diagnosis, that's what we used to refer to as mental retardation in the DSM-IV system, and now we refer to it as intellectual disability. Which is another word that a presidential candidate has recently used. Jeb Bush was talking about (sighs) it. Anyway. Anyway. So obviously they need to be paying more attention to their science and keep with the times. Yeah. But what autism as this specific notch deficit in social communication capacities that is not inborn and needs to be learned Mm -hmm. is something that does co-occur with other issues and for example um, a lot of people with really significant chromosomal damage will also have co-occurring autism Mm. so somebody with down syndrome is at increased risk compared to somebody from the general population of having autism and also many many other um, chromosomal damaged sorts mm-hmm. of disorders and so I think because of that and because autism also does co-occur very largely with intellectual disability I think that we have a view as a society that people with autism are people who don't learn very quickly they're people who really demonstrate intellectual disability well, that's not really true is it? it there's lots of I've seen to be historical examples where people are going back and looking at social versus intellectual ability and finding well, see, maybe it's not that, that clean. And that's what I would argue is these are two different diagnoses that yeah. should be diagnosed separately. They do co-occur semi-frequently. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there also seems to be possibly, and this one's getting out on the edges of science, people are looking at this, but there's possibly a shift going on where um, people who do meet criteria for autism spectrum disorder are less likely to have intellectual disability than they used to. Hmm. So, for example, my abnormal psychology textbook, quoting a old study from back in the day, said that 60 to 80 percent of people on the autism spectrum would have co-occurring intellectual disability. However, at this point, if you check the Center for Disease Control's webpage, and they have a wonderful webpage that I really recommend anybody interested in autism should explore, um, if you check their webpage on current data, the current data looks like somewhere around 50% or so of people with autism spectrum disorder have average to above average IQs. So that's, in my opinion, where a lot of this spectrum concept comes from, is because if you're talking about somebody with extreme intellectual disability that, for example, is pre-verbal and is staying at a pre-verbal level with a 30 IQ, mm-hmm. that person's going to seem very, very different in their social presentation yeah. and their yeah. general experience from someone who is a genius level person who's very, very, very bright, but yet still lacking the social um, competencies mm-hmm. in the way you would expect of somebody with autism spectrum disorder. So I would argue that I think a lot of the spectrum aspects really come from what people have as co-occurring disorders. Yeah, so in some ways, I guess we need to be thinking of these as multidimensional. I don't even know if disorder is the right term, given the the range of variation you're looking at. Well, and there are a lot of people that are arguing that, and particularly people who have are particularly bright and yet are diagnosed on the autism spectrum there's a lot of argument out there saying that people who 
analyze data from an autism spectrum disorder perspective tend to be significantly more analytical and tend mm-hmm. to see patterns in the world that perhaps are harder to access huh. for those of us who are not on the spectrum. That kind of the different way they're analyzing the hmm. world around them can actually be a really significant plus and not only a disadvantage. Hmm. That's very fascinating. Uh, what about this so-called connection between vaccines and autism that keeps coming up? I think it keeps coming up because there are not enough candles in the darkness. <laughs> there are too many people who have heard about it and too few people who are looking up the science behind it. This is just one one paper that sort of established It thing, was right? one paper in 1998 in The Lancet that was um, led by Andrew Wakefield, who at the time was a physician, however, is no longer a physician following 2010 when the medical register in the UK renounced his ability to practice because of um, professional serious professional misconduct officially is the reason why and basically what happened was he falsified data he made it up and I'd like to put out there that it's not necessarily a bad idea to ask Mm -hmm. are vaccines related to onset of autism Mm -hmm. I think that science moves by finding connections and my gosh some of the connections we find are not things that we'd expect or that we'd hope for and it's really important to entertain are we potentially hurting people as we try to help them and and as parents it's certainly I can understand the anxiety absolutely so So it's it's a fine question to ask the problem was it was answered by this gentleman making up data and then saying oh look at this wonderful thing I found Mm -hmm. how interesting how fabulous and so that's changed the way a bunch of people interact with the concept of vaccines the problem is he made up the data and there have been just so many really large really good studies the CDC did one there have been just a a number Mm -hmm. of huge humongous population based studies that have found absolutely Absolutely. no connection and so although the idea potentially had merit it has been examined by science and science has resoundingly said that vaccines do not link at all to development of autism or autism spectrum disorders in children however vaccines do link really significantly with the ability to not come down with really awful diseases which can permanently maim or kill you exactly and i I like to think of our show as a little vaccine uh, or this candle in the dark against uh, our own misunderstandings about the universe and which is why you know we are in this pledge drive right now and you know uh, i think the reason we i keep doing this show and the reason we've been doing the cafe scientific is because we want to try and bring science to the to the public square and get people f- to understand the science and learn how to tell apart when scientists or quacks like Andrew Wakefield are making data up and not fall prey to that. So uh, I hope you will, uh, if you're listening, you'll, you'll consider supporting the station and I'm going to we'll take a little break as we go back to the press drive. Well, uh, right you are, Madhu and <laughs> Amanda. This show and uh, and the Cafe Scientific are so important, particularly in the Valley. You know, uh, Candle in the Dark is the only uh, original, originally uh, produced science show in the San Joaquin Valley. 
Uh, and uh, we're very proud of it. We're very proud to have this program. And the only way that this could ever happen is because of you folks out there who are listening to this show right now and who hopefully will appreciate the fact that we do have this great science on our airwaves. You know, KFCF is totally listener supported. That means 100% of our support comes from you folks right out there. We don't get government grants. We don't get our underwriting from companies. And Pharma uh, or, you know, anybody. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joined in the studio, too, by uh, Rich Withers, uh, the uh, general manager of KFCF. And, uh, you know, Rich, uh, it... it uh, we put this show on the air for the specific reason of bringing uh, a wide range of, of these very important topics. Science is really the basis of our civilization right now, the, our modern civilization. Yeah. Yes, and you know it's really important. I think that people understand science, and you know we've added this show. You know we've also added Planetary Radio, which uh, comes from uh, the Planetary Society. That's uh, Bill Nye yeah, and some yeah, other yeah. folks, and we've got that on Sunday nights. I think it's important to have that type of educational programming on the air and but not have it so dry that people you know turn off the radio or you know say well I don't understand any of that I think having to have you know, programming like that that is accessible that people can understand is an important component of what we do you know we're, we don't want you know celebrity scientists like Cindy Crawford on the air you know or whatever uh, <laughs> telling us uh, that Jenny you know, believes, uh, vaccines yeah. uh, vaccines are, are evil and terrible and they've never helped anybody and uh-huh. stuff like that I mean some of the stuff I've heard the, from the anti-vaxxers is just you know makes your head spin they say nobody's ever died of a disease that vaccine will present, prevent, so, to prevent. Uh, which, go, is, which is really shocking for someone like me because I grew up in India and I grew up at a time when well, I had friends that had polio you know. yeah and my, my mother-in-law had polio and I I remember the moment actually when uh, uh, smallpox was eradicated from India I was and about 10 years old at the time I've had friends you know when I was in elementary school who mm-hmm. you know would get you know, measles or mumps or other things and one of them became blind another one lost their hearing I mean yeah this is the sort of thing that happened and that's why it's important to have this type of programming on the air and that's why we need your support 1-800-439-5732 let me insert that right now and let me repeat <laughs> it again 1-800- Hey, KPFA, 1-800-439-5732. Please go to your phone right now. Uh, Don't go to your cell phone if you're driving, but uh, (laughs) any other situation than that, please call us right now and show us that you support this program and that you support more of of this kind of really in-depth, really smart programming on uh, KFCF's local airwaves. And you can also go to our uh, webpage, www.kfcf.org, and make a pledge there. And that's one of the ways you can support. And, you know, it's really important right now that we get some support in because KPFA, they got a bequest and canceled the summer pledge drive. Well, unfortunately, KFCF did not get a bequest. (laughs) So when the summer pledge drive got canceled, that was probably about a $17,000 hit in income for us. So things are really tight right now. I was just, you know, looking at all the red ink, you know, oozing out of our checkbook thinking, you know... I can maybe make payroll this you know, end of this uh, month, but yeah, I'm wondering. Mm. Uh, hopefully, some money will come in, and you know, we've had some very generous people this morning. I'd like to thank them. But we need your help. We need your support. KFCF one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two. Make that pledge now. One eight hundred four three nine five seven three two. Just think about the wide range of topics that you've heard uh, on the several months that this that science of candle in the dark has been on the air. You've heard about. Uh, incredible programs about geology, about physics, about cosmology, uh, about psychology, 
uh, as with uh, 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 Professor Amanda here with us today. And uh, the very, very important uh, topic of of vaccinations and of autism. Now, autism is uh, a, a, a very, very major thing going on in this country. Uh, and to let's be clear about what it is and what it isn't and what might cause it and what doesn't cause it. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of topic that we're exploring with you this afternoon. We're bringing you vital information that you need uh, for your own family and to inform your yourself when you get into these discussions with uh, friends or people at a, at a, at a party or at a and gathering. things have changed. You know, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you know, if there was a kid who's maybe autistic, they'd say, oh, he's just a little slow, you know, he's okay. And nobody would do a you know, scientific test, diagnosis, and say, he has autism. And I think, you know, that's a whole thing that's changed, too. They've gotten better at detecting things. So, you know, it's not the same as it was. They say, well, there's a huge increase in the number of autistic. Maybe they've gotten better at diagnosing people with those symptoms than what they used to do, where it used to be, you know, years, years general practitioner and he probably wasn't familiar with it and he'd just say oh no everything's fine you know just you know have him study a little more or whatever and you know that I think things have changed a lot and you know we've gotten better at, at diagnosing things you know same thing with the you know, uh, you know AD uh, what is it uh ADHD. ADHD. (laughs) I get all these acronyms confused. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, attention deficit disorder and so on, you know. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we we need to you know help these people we need to work on things to help them but we can't deny it and just say well you know it's because of you know, xyz when you don't have the the study and the proof to show that's true 1-800-439-5732 give think, us a call think about the top notch local scientists that we've had consistently on this program uh shows including uh, Amanda, who has joined us here today for the second time, uh, uh, we have some really, really interesting and really well-informed uh, scientists and, and, and uh, people at Fresno State University that Madhu has uh, brought here to our airwaves. People that aren't writing articles in the newspaper, people you've probably yeah. never heard of before, uh, but once you hear them on KFCF's airwaves, you realize, wow, we have such an immense wealth of, of talent and skill and knowledge knowledge, uh, critical, essential knowledge, and essential to our civilization. And it's important that you hear those voices, and KFCF is bringing you voices like those. If you listen to the guest on uh, the science show here, also the guest on Tom Willie's show, Mm -hmm. uh, Down on the Farm, or Lloyd Carter's show, uh, Down in the Valley, where he deals with water issues. You know, uh, Dolores Weller does the show Clearing the Air, where they talk about air quality issues. You know, those are local people talking about things that are important to your life and to, you know, living here in the valley. And, you know, you hear it here on KFCF. That's why it's important you support the station. Right on. 1-800-439-5732. Once more, 1-800-439-5732. Please consider going to your phone right now or as soon as you possibly can and making that pledge. Uh, We suggest a pledge of uh, $40, our regular subscription. Uh, That's only 11 cents a day. Think about it. 11 cents a day for all of the amazing information and entertainment. Think about all the live music that uh, that, uh, Rich and the crew have been putting out there the last few months. And we've got one coming up Sunday night. Uh, Phil and Dave Alvin will have live from uh, up in Grass Valley Sunday night at 7 here on KFCF. So, you know, we're doing live music, and I think that's an important component in addition to, you know, intellectual and educational programming. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got to soothe the savage beast. And uh, uh, with that, uh, we're going to take you uh, back to our our, uh, program. But please, while you're listening... 
please go call 1-800-439-5732 and make that pledge to support Science, a Candle in the Dark, and all of the other wonderful uh, programs that you hear via KFCF's airwaves. Madhu, back to you. Thank you, Vic. Uh, I want to get back to uh, what we were talking about. Uh, you mentioned, I'm Dr. Mortimer, about the broader cultural context of social sort of anxieties and how people communicate. And I want to hijack it just a Sorry, little bit yeah. because of what we were talking about on the break there and what's important to people and the idea that we're putting this out there. I personally think diagnosis is really interesting. I love talking mm-hmm. about it. However, I think what's really more compelling to people out there is the question of why should I care? Why is this a problem? Mm-hmm. If I am on the autism spectrum or if my child is on the autism spectrum, why does it even matter? Do I need to know that? Would it be okay to just ignore it and move forward? And the answer to why you need to know is because if you're having trouble communicating with everyone else around you, that can be an incredibly painful place to be. Yeah. So for adults, people who are kind of moving through their lives, they can end up feeling incredibly lonely and socially isolated. They can also end up feeling very, very, very anxious and nervous about their interactions with other people. I and and I, I wonder about that particularly in in the sort of evolving cultural context we have where social interactions are quite important in our careers and our our lives. I think that's true for everyone everywhere at all times, so we are social animals. We are built to live in groups, and the problem is, if people don't seem like us, we pick on them. And So, So that's what I wanted to sort of ask about the cultural context and what the society's obligation is towards people who may not fit a certain mold. And I'm curious about whether autism and the, and the spectrum and this notion that maybe it's it's a big thing now and which implies that maybe it wasn't a big thing earlier and I'm not sure that that's the case and I wonder if the the rates of autism uh, diagnoses have changed or actual rates have changed and if there's any variation among countries and societies about in in the rates of autism in general it seems to be fairly consistent about one percent um however and i'm getting these numbers from the cdc's webpage and Mm -hmm. from the good science that is summarized there there's a higher rate shown in south korea at 2.6 percent and for us here in the u.s it seems to be going up semi briskly The thing that's really impressive about the way people are measuring the stuff that's coming up, we have a, the CDC has a network of different autism observation sites that are scattered about, and they're doing the diagnosis themselves. So this Mm. is not really that they're calling up your local doctor and saying, so how many people on the autism spectrum have you seen? It's that they're actually assessing the children themselves and saying, here's how many people have this problem. So I think that actually between the fact that the rate of intellectual disability in folks with autism seems to be going down and the rates of autism seem to be going up, I think that there probably are more people with more mild versions going around. So that's currently my thought. That's a hypothesis that is shared by others, but that no one really knows. At this point, we don't know what is driving the development of autism. We know that it's genetically mediated in some fashions, okay. but we don't really know 
exactly why and how and there are a lot of people putting a lot of work and money into trying to figure that out because of course it's crucial but the reason why and my final thing i gotta get out there is that the reason why you need to know is because people can learn yeah and so if you don't have these inborn abilities you can learn and the way you do that is through typically applied behavior analysis which is a specific type of very strongly science-based treatment where people are trained here's what you do so for example people on the autism spectrum do not feel a compelling need to meet the eyes of people they're talking to and for people not on the autism spectrum that makes them feel weird and shifty and really untrustworthy so applied behavior analysis will then train people if you're wanting to carry a conversation with someone meet their eyes and we'll give people rewards that will get them in the habit of doing those sorts of behaviors that will then make them more successful in their social interactions and that can make a huge difference for adults as well as children and with children it's even more important because children on the spectrum particularly children with co-occurring intellectual disability but children in general have a very hard time learning to talk because of the social communication problem and with ABA they can learn to talk and that just makes such a difference we have good treatment so it's really crucial to identify people with this issue that's really great and and I'd say that some of that education and learning about how to recognize and, and address this applies to people who are not on the spectrum as well who do get into these interactions so it's not just a question of I mean it's great that ABA can help people on the spectrum come up with strategies to communicate effectively but maybe the rest of us also need to sort of be more accommodating of people who might be a little different i think that that is absolutely crucial with diagnosing i primarily do more adult-based diagnosis but one of the things that just really makes your heart hurt for people is my um the autistic diagnostic observational schedule too which is the big formal way to go about doing diagnosis you ask all of these specific questions in a very codified way and some of the questions you ask are tell me about when people were mean to you at school and almost everybody on the spectrum has had a bad experience that direction thank you dr mortimer uh, I just want to end with a quick reminder that uh, the Central Valley Cafe Scientific will be back uh, at Peeves Pub on October the 5th with our guest from today, Dr. Mortimer, talking about autism. And uh, you can look for our show uh, uh, at Peeves Pub. You can also look us, look us up on our website, uh, valleycafesci.org. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. And our show is also available as a podcast. You can find it on the iTunes show, store. So with that, uh, let me leave you with our usual thought that, you know, we'll meet again in a, in a month. But in the meantime, remember, science is a verb. So have fun with it.